Uh, we're going to talk about the new game, the GTA, Shin Megami Tensei 5. There was one other. It's the, another 5. Too. Oh, and the GTA, the GTA SMT 5. Forza Hold Horizon up. 5. There, there we go. For people who are fans of cars and racing. Uh, SMT, if you're unfamiliar with that abbreviation, is Shin Megami Tensei. Um, if you liked Persona 5, you'll probably like SMT 5. Uh, however, I do have to say that for some reason, the SMT and the Persona fan base like hate each other. Yeah, I don't understand why, but if you like one, you don't like the other, and I don't quite get it. It's essentially it's the, the same game. It's the same game. That's like, 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 I mean, I saw a meme about this today where it was comparing Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts fans to SMT and Persona fans, and like, the thing is, is that like, you can't, almost can't even use that comparison because they're so similar. Like Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy as franchises have varied gameplay. Absolutely. Whereas like if it is labeled as a SMT game, like a Shin Megami Tensei game, it has a Persona style or a, you know, a SMT style is what it should be called of play. And I mean, Persona games all play the same way. So, I don't I mean, get it. Let, let's be real. For as much as I like the Persona series, it's still edgy Pokemon. I would say that it's a little better than edgy Pokemon. I wouldn't go that far. Now, like, the overarching story, it has some great themes. But, like, the gameplay, it's, it's some edgy Pokemon. Uh, well, again, like I said, so it's they not do take as, a lot out of folklore, though. It's well, it's not as straightforward as Pokemon either, in that. So, like Pokemon, you catch the thing, you level the thing up, the thing changes, and in Persona, it's like a a fusing, and it's very specific. Almost like if you're not using a guide, it's like a trial and error system. At least I've played mostly only Persona 3. And that's Heck, like... even if you are using a guide, it's annoying and specific as fuck anyway. Yeah. It's like you have to use this Persona at this level and fuse it with this Persona at this level as long as it only knows this skill and then that'll put, fuse it into, you know, said next Persona that you can use, you know, the... yeah. That was my biggest complaint with all of the Persona games. Was... You have to raise it to level 20, and then its attack and defense stats have to be the same or some shit like that, right? Yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, you are right in that Pokemon does have some quirks like that. Like Inke not evolving into Malamar unless you turn your DS or switch upside down. Right. Things like that, but that's like... Those are few and far between in that, like, you know, like, well, to evolve this Inke, this is the upside down one. Or, you know, like, the Eevees, it's very specific, but also kind of just laid out for you. How long before we have a Pokemon that whose evolution uh, 
trigger is simply it happens. Who knows when? Isn't that kind of Cosmoem from uh, X and Y? Uh, can't remember. The little, the little blue blob that the girl's carrying around. No, that's not X and Y. That's Sun and Moon. Yeah. Okay. I was very uh, not hip to Sun and Moon's story. Uh, yeah. There was too much of it, in my opinion. Every fucking fifty steps, there was a cutscene, and they're all unskippable, no matter how many times you've played the game. Yeah, just about any time I thought, like, you know what? I'm gonna go make some progress. I like took two steps and got stuck in three cutscenes, and was like, I feel like I've made some progress, and I should stop for the day. Yeah, this is this was an hour and a half of my time. I'm done now. So. With that so, in mind, I don't know how thrilled I am about the Pokemon remakes coming out this month. I uh, mean, so Diamond and Pearl are fan favorites. People do love them. Yes. They are probably the most celebrated Pokemon games. The Unova region is among Pokemon fans. Uh, probably the most celebrated. Like I said, but I just... I think a lot of people are going to be aggravated at the lack thereof. Um, hmm. Improvements like it's minor improvements graphically from it. Like it looks like a Game Boy game. You think it's just going to be mostly a port? Uh, so a lot of it is different and a lot of it they have to change because the game came out on the DS. And so Nintendo, they're all about, if the features of this thing are used in like every game, like the switch, almost every switch game uses the joy cons and the movement, you know? Right. Okay. So the DS was much in the same way that everything that this thing is available on this platform is going to get used by most of the games. So they do have to change all of the stylus touchpad stuff. Right. But in that, like, that to me would just make see, the game better. I could see I've, a bunch of, like, stuff being added to the Poke gear, like the uh, Pokemon camp nonsense. Yeah. I quit. I quit. I haven't played Pokemon in so long. I want to say two months ago, three months ago, my little brother challenged me to a Pokemon fight because he's been playing Hellas, mm. and I went over there and beat him with two Pokemon, and he got uh, not upset, but was like, damn, I hate you. <laughs> My little brother was like, come fight me in a Pokemon battle, so I went over there, turned him upside down, and took his lunch money. Right. Well, so... <laughs> Damon is still... My little brother is still not... He's still learning Pokemon, so a lot of the like meta strategies, if he hasn't heard about it, it's going to surprise him. Okay. And he also doesn't, did, doesn't build his team to be a counter to really anything. Uh, right. So uh, what flavor can did you open on him? Oh, dude, Toxapex Ferrothorn. And my third was actually a level one Aaron. 
Okay, that Toxapex is fucking dirty and you know it. Ferrothorn is the same thing. Like, Ferrothorn is the absolute slowest Pokemon in the game. Right? Or right. heaviest? Not slowest, heaviest. For some reason. <laughs> and then you I have... mean, isn't it made out of like pure steel or some shit? Yeah. But Ferrothorn and Gyro Balls. Oh. Absolute slowest Pokemon in the game. So you teach your Ferrothorn Gyro Ball and you just switch in and out with the Toxapex, eating up their, you know, damage. And then when you know it's safe, you throw out Ferrothorn, you use Gyro Ball, and it will either kill them or get them really close. And then they're either burned or poisoned from Toxapex. Right. And then be switched out to sit and soak up more damage and just be a little sea urchin. He probably never even killed that Toxapex to begin with, huh? No. He killed the Ferrothorn with his last Pokemon. I will give him that. But he was poisoned, and my Toxapex just withheld from dying until it got him. That Toxapex was cheesy battle tower strats, I swear. Yeah. Wesley showed me about it back in the day. I'm a good friend, Wesley. He's like, you got to see, you got to see so, his uh, Pokemon. About a uh, Diamond and Pearl, though, that was when Spiritomb was introduced, right? Correct. Wasn't that the first Pokemon to not feature any weaknesses whatsoever? Yes, it was the first Pokemon to feature exactly zero weaknesses. Well, not weaknesses. It's super effective. Nothing is super effective against it until fairy types came out. Right. Which I don't think should have happened. No, I feel like they should strive to continue to add a little more uh, typing in there. They can add more Pokemon and uh, have more originality by adding more types. Yeah. Other than just being like, you know what? Scyther's grand now. So I kind of like the switching around of types because it allows them to change. <coughs> Sorry, this doobie is pretty heavy. Uh, it uh, allows them to change the aesthetic of the original monsters. And like, Alex, you said Scyther, and don't don't lie to me. That new fucking Scyther from Legends of Arceus with the fucking axe arms, that looks cool as fuck. And seven me, seven year old me would have immediately put that in my party and never taken it out. Oh yeah, certainly. It's just uh, I call a little bullshit that it's taken them this long to begin discovering Pokemon that are strange <laughs> typings. Uh, so like, we've really been adventuring alongside our Pokemon all these years, and we've never been like, "Huh, this Pokemon a little weird." So your new protagonist. In every game, for one. In their defense. And for two, it's that... It's like a gameplay feature. It's like they've kind of now realized that they've run out of options. And so a good way to make differentials is like, well, this is a Hoenn Pikachu. Pikachus in Galar look like this. And are actually like, you know, rock-type Pokemon, not electric-type Pokemon. And that's kind of how I look at it is like it's taken them forever to come up with that idea as, a, as like a gameplay mechanic 
And that's just in the world of Pokemon, you know, Pikachu's from the Hoenn region look different than P- Pikachu's from the Johto region. Right. The, it yeah. just I'm just saying that it took them so long that it ventures into the realm of disbelief. Yeah. I guess you're saying in the world of the game, but also it's not that they shouldn't have been doing it. It's just that it came so late that it's like, y'all really never discovered these other Pokemon that look different just from other regions. They act different. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So we all, we did, we did discuss that we need to discuss the dark pictures anthology. Because you recently got me into those games, and I have watched one played all the way through. I watched Jacksepticeye play all the way through House of Ashes. And I watched a story recap of Man of Medan and a story recap of A Little Hope. See, I'm mostly unfamiliar with the stories of Man of Medan and Little Hope. But that was just because I wasn't very captivated by them to begin with. I don't know why House of Ashes caught me so much better than the other two. I think it's a, a little bit more fast-paced, gripping story than the others. The other two kind of have like a slow burn. If Maybe, they were, movies, I guess. If they were movies, it would be like Man of Medan and A Little Hope would be more like psychological thrillers, whereas... House of Ashes would be a straight up B action horror movie. No, you I think you hit the nail on the head actually. In House of Ashes, it always feels like the danger is just around the corner and you gotta keep your rules of engagement ready for whatever's about to hop out at you. Right. And in the other two, it's like, I know I'm gonna be walking in this forest, like it's creepy, but I'm gonna be walking here for a minute. And there's nothing I can do. If something's gonna jump out and eat me, I'm fucked. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, I guess, a lot more apathy and a lot less horror compared to House of Ashes. It's still horror, don't get me wrong. Just like a different kind. Also, like, can we talk about Jason and his shitty accent and attitude the entire ass game? Oh, which one was Jason? How did he die? Because that's how I remember most of them. Uh, he didn't in Jack's playthrough. Nick. Nick That's was the Nick. black guy. Right? Nick okay, was the black I... guy who sacrificed himself at the end. Yeah, no, never mind. I, yeah, I was confusing all these people's names for a second. Right, oh. in Jack's playthrough, uh, Jason gets out with Salim. Yeah, Jason gets out with Salim. That's what I was about to say. In Jack's playthrough, it's the dude, yeah. Dude, and that's the most ass-backwards expectation. You did not whatsoever expect those two people to come out of that alive. No, not together. Heck, heck most people probably didn't even want Jason to come out of that alive. Most of that time, I was like, when's Salim going to do his crowbar magic on this dude? Yeah, like, when's Salim just going to stop fucking taking it? Like... I, I we got to sh- shout out to Salim because I, I mean that dude did more like I said did more work in one game with a single crowbar than some video game protagonists do their entire video game. 
these army men out there with the bullets, their grenade launchers, they ain't doing shit to these aliens. Salim just in here with a metal stake putting work in. Hell yeah. Oh. See, I think we kind of need more single-player story-driven games like that, though. Well, they're not single-player, but story-driven games like that, where the focus isn't like a test of skill of I'm better than you. Like, I play Spider-Man when it came out on the PS4. I played Miles Morales when it dropped because I got a PS5 right around there. Right. So I'm not... I'm like, those are two of my favorite games ever. The story is awesome. I'm super excited for Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm going to go pick that up Friday. Uh, but, like, these games, these single-story player uh, story-driven games, a lot of them suffer from horrible writing. Like, I tried to play, like, think of, like, Hellpoint, Okay. That is the even if you're looking for lore, it's all written so badly that it's like, no, nah, I'm just gonna Google this. Well, the lore was written in a way that was trying to mirror Dark Souls, but being not from software, they didn't get a good grasp of it, and it just turned into salad that you can pick up off the floor and assemble if you want, I guess. Right, those were. That game was awesome. I don't know if anybody listening has ever played the game Hellpoint. It's a Souls clone on Steam, PS4, might be on Xbox. I'm not an Xbox guy, so I don't know. But it's a Souls clone in space with guns. If you've ever seen the movie Horizon or Event Horizon with Sam Neill, it's, it's that. I don't know if I'd sell the guns so much because uh, it's more melee combat than anything else. I mean, I've seen projectile-only builds. They do exist. They're not. And the guns. I guess, yeah. If you want to say Dark Souls with guns, I'm going to have to say that's a lot more. Remnant from the Ashes fits that a lot more. Let's see what else we got here. Stealth in video games. We were discussing that earlier, and I think that's a, a decent topic for these guys. So, <clears throat> traditionally, my introduction to what like stealth should be in a video game mm-hmm. was Metal Gear Solid One on the PlayStation One. I, I would stay up as late as my dad would let me, watching him play that game, and I mean, some of my best memories are associated with watching my dad play Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2. And so that, to me, is like the basis. And although I will be the first person to admit where, although I think that MGS is the king of storytelling and the originator of the stealth gameplay, Mm -hmm. Splinter Cell's gameplay, by the time that they released Blacklist, was so streamlined and perfected. I mean, like the feeling of awesome secret agentness you get when you get some three dudes' attention, turn around and run down a hallway with a puddle in it, jump over it as you toss a sticky shocker into the puddle and right. roll and just watch them all case themselves to death or knockedness. Right? Right. 
I feel like uh, Splinter Soul got a lot of the visceral feeling of everything that's happening and managed to encapsulate that in Blacklist and Conviction to an extent. I do feel like Metal Gear Solid, though, as has you know, an antithesis to that much did much better with the making you feel like you worked for the government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Constantly, I mean... like, having to stop what you were doing and go Excuse call me. somebody or being like, all right, I just fucking press these three buttons you told me to. What do I do now? Whereas Sam Fisher gets a much like it's you're not as connected to like home base. So uh, you I mean, hear me out. So in Blacklist, there's a mission where you have to disable three chemical bombs um, scattered across a train yard, right? Correct. And as you get to the first one, Sam like calls up Grimm's daughter. He says, what do I need to do to disable this bomb? And uh, follows the instructions real quick. And meanwhile, Briggs has to go do, uh, go disable another bomb. And Briggs has his own first-person segment that's basically like Briggs isn't meant for hiding. He just shoots things. Right. It's kind of goofy how they made his gameplay dynamic, but he gets to his bomb and he tries to call up Grimm's daughter, but only Charlie is there and he's currently having a bit of drama with Charlie. So they like back and forth for a bit and eventually Briggs just says, you know what? I'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then whenever Briggs gets to the third bomb, he just goes, Oh shit, Charlie, I just pulled a red wire. Is that bad? And then Charlie goes, shit, yes, get out of there. And Briggs just goes, gotcha. <laughs> the see. So, the like, hum- there's a bit of back and forth between the agent and the handler that kind of reinforces that. Yeah, I get what you're saying. To, I don't know, to me, just getting the calls from the colonel, getting the calls from Otacon, and it like separating you from the game and being only the call. Plug your controller into controller port four. Yeah. Fight uh Psychomantis. That's a whole nother level. Like if we're talking about stealth and video games, we shouldn't even touch on that side of Metal Gear Solid. Or like what was because wasn't there like a certain radio code that you had to look for on the back of the box and it to call a certain person? Like there was right. yeah, um, yeah. That was kind of some next level puzzle solving. Exactly, and that's also next level anti piracy. True. Yeah. Like a code wheel. Kinda. Uh, while we're on the subject of stealth, though, I thief. I have never been able to get good at that game at all, but I love watching people play it. And like some of the runs of these people <laughs> playing. What thief, do you mean you've never been good at thief? It's not that difficult. You just club people in the back of the head and run the fuck off. <laughs> okay, I'm, these people are making coordinated assaults. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, like, 
I'm sure I'm not capable of what any of the speedrunners are either, but like in Thief, it's pretty generally simple to be like, oh, I need into this house, so I'm just gonna slap this person in the back of the head with a blackjack and we'll be good. Yeah, no. Listen, Hit him in the back of the head with a blunt arrow. I beat Thief. It's okay. Like, I'm talking about like speedrunners and things of that nature. Oh, God, no. Yeah, these people. Blow me sure away. Sure, they run. Carry on. So these people blow me away with the just the efficiency in which they can sneak. I'm sure it's something like dishonored. That is another level of bullshit. Like that, I still haven't gotten to play Dishonored, but I've seen a complete playthrough of both games, and like, holy shit. That's cool. Like, the sad thing about Dishonored is that if you see a speedrun before you start playing it, you're going to feel real discouraged about yourself. Real discouraged. Oh, yeah. That's part of the reason I haven't tried to play it yet. Because I'm like, I know I'm not going to be able to do these crazy fucking things that these guys do. I'm not going (laughs) to be able to light off a grenade, force push it into the air, slow time, pour it over here, stab this guy in the back as the grenade comes down (laughs) on his buddy's head. (coughs) I might as well not even try. And I mean, sure, a lot of the game is crazy nonsense like that, but doesn't have to be all the game is right it's it's fun to i can assume it's fun to play see and another stealth game that always had a soft place in my heart was the days x series i Um, feel like those don't get enough love i feel like they do but for some of the weirdest reasons and um, it can be a little weird to express love for Deus Ex without kind of coming off as an edgelord. There are reasons for that, but it's true. Okay. I mean, uh, to begin with, transhumanism to begin with always comes off as a little edgy, but... It is very edgelordy. Uh, I kind of agree with a lot of their prospects. But I think the the thing that comes off as the edgy edgiest is that like the game to most people, the character looks like he's trying to be Neo. When in all actuality, I feel like it's the other way around. Neo is trying to be Adam Denton. Jensen. Jensen. So the Dentons were from uh the conspiracy and invisible war. And yeah. Adam Jensen is from Dent. Human Revolution, and who's who's the Dentons? The Dentons were basically genetically perfected people. Um, they were created no, to not have old. any kind of. Sorry, what was that? What were their names? Let's see. The clones, I believe, were named J.C. Denton, Paul Denton, Alex Denton, Billy? J.C. Denton. 
Yes, J.C. Denton is the original, the one from The Conspiracy, and Alex Denton is the protagonist of Invisible War. All right. So, I think it was Alex Denton. Hmm. Alex Denton what? Is the one on the cover of Invisible War, you said, right? Yes. That no, guy. Alex, Alex Denton um, doesn't even know his origins whenever the game begins. He understands that he's kind of a biological guinea pig, but he thinks that he's simply a special operative that never knew his real parents, and that's simply the life that he lives. Right. Uh, but doesn't understand that he's actually a genetic perfection um, designed to give everybody a perfect genetic setup to accept biomodifications. Um, Getting away from myself. The Deus Ex series is very known for its stealth sequences involving multi-route pathways. There are multiple different ways that you can approach a situation while remaining in stealth or not, depending on how you want to go about things. And I feel like that was one thing that I always appreciated about the Deus Ex series. There was never one concrete way to go through places, even if you were going by stealth. And I agree. it really led to a creative feeling. I played the, the one on the 360 is the one I beat. Human Revolution? Yes, that one. I really appreciated how, like you said, every every encounter could be approached from like three different vents, two different doors, and a hole in the wall. Not every one of them, but there were enough options everywhere that you never felt like, man, yeah, I'm never like... going to be able to do it like this. I'm fucked. Instead, yeah. it's like, man, I'm never going to be able to do it like this. I should find out what's on the other side of that wall. Maybe I can come through there. Exactly. That was one of my stealth in that game was one of my favorite things. Also, while we're on the subject of Day Sex, I also have to say that throwing vending machines at people is also another one of my favorite things. Look, man, I tried to go through Human Revolution using only vending machines and other large objects. It is a tough thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that's all I did, but I definitely, if the time arose that I was, you know, near a vending machine and either in a stealth situation or a firefight, you can bet your sweet ass it was getting hurled. Like, it's one thing if, like, you just happen to be near a vending machine and it's a useful item at the time, and it's another thing whenever I'm, like, trying to sneak up the stairs with a vending machine and somebody's like, hey, you stop right there. What are you? Huh? And I just I mean, body them and pick the vending machine back up. You got to do what you got to do. I mean, honestly, that would be crazy. Could you imagine some dude running through and like, you're a mafia boss. This dude's killed all your men with the fucking vending machines you put you just put in the break room like two days ago honestly like (laughs) if 
If you've got the camera set up, you just see a man walk in, he somehow manages to take out all of your security cards with vending machines. They've got submachine guns, like grenade launchers, rockets. They can't take this man down. I think I think I would accept my death at that point. You don't have to turn on the vending machine lights. <laughs> Oh, like my wallet is at the door. I am leaving. I'm out of here. I think I think that the Hitman games did stealth pretty good. The newer ones, the older ones, uh, I've watched a few times. My dad play. He really likes stealth games, and that was watching that was okay. an older Hitman game feels so goofy. Oh, it does. They are so goofy, man. Now, it has its charm, but that's because it's so funny how oblivious some of the NPCs seem to what you're doing. Okay. It is... Uh, I was going to say that the AI was just horrible. Like, no. Like, sometimes the AI is actually rather good and on point. Like, people are paying attention to you being weird whenever... It should be weird. And other times it's just like, wow, the bathroom is overflowing. Better go check that out. And then they get their neck snapped and then they get thrown into a casket. And then somebody else goes, wow, the bathroom is overflowing. Better go check that out. Right. That is... That is a good point. I just, I don't know. I never really played them, the older games. Like I said, the most stealth games I played, I played Metal Gear Solid 1. I played Metal Gear Solid 2. I played Snake Eater. I played 4. I never played anything after that. I played Splinter Cell. I played Chaos Theory. I played Blacklist. Um, I've played some other stealth-based games. Like Those are like the three best Splinter Cell games, too. Assassin's Creed, the original ones, those used to be pretty self-based. Isn't that so sad? So, as much as I liked, I really liked Origins, the Egypt one. Mm-hmm. That was a super fucking dope game. But at the same time, like, why couldn't I get like a an Assassin's Creed 1, but in Egypt. Like, why yeah. Why couldn't you just, like, make it, like, a different game and not tie it to Assassin's Creed? Because now it's like, now Assassin's Creed has to be open world and full-on melee combat-based. Like, I don't mean, get me wrong. I loved Valhalla. I have it on the PS5. I still play it every now and again. But... Assassin's Creed was already open world and everything to begin with, but that combat system really didn't lend itself to what it used to be. No. I mean, the old combat system was very abusable with the counter kills. Sure it was, but at the same time, it's not that difficult to kill a person. No. People are easily killed. That is a that is a general fact of nature, correct? Like, 
even if like you've life. been level <laughs> 76, like you're some 50-year-old man who's been adventuring all his life, if I sever your jugular... You're going down. You ought to die. Correct. And I assume, you know, Altair, he's a master assassin. He knows exactly how to cut you. Right. I mean, I'm just saying that the RPG format really takes away from the idea of an assassin being able to quickly remove a person from the world of living. Right. Instead, he shows up and he's got this fucking great mace and he has this knockdown drag out battle with a fucking Egyptian god. Right. Yeah. That is not that is not a stealth game. That is no. a fantasy RPG. I think right. It became more generic. Yes. So and they still use the animus, which like I really like that idea. Okay. I, I don't have anything to hate on the animus. I think it's a really cool idea, especially for video games, because it allows you to have like cool storylines or like Eventually, maybe we'll develop that technology in real life, and I'll be able to go play Assassin's Creed in real life. Oh, like, God, no. You don't want to, like, go imagine? Get... <laughs> could you imagine learning what depressing lives our ancestors lived? I bet you we could find one or two that were not depressing people. Genghis Khan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We just get to go live as Genghis Khan for a few hours every day. Right, like, I mean, almost, what is it, like two-thirds of the people in the world are somehow distantly related to Genghis Khan or some shit? Like, that's basically a universal memory right there. Yeah. I feel like if we're going to talk about Genghis Khan, you bring him up, he's one of my favorite historical people for the, I don't know, for the last couple of minutes here, let's did you guys know, did you know, Alex, that in Mongolia, they still worship Kangas Khan as a god? As a the god? Same, the same way, like, revere him in the same way that they did when he was alive. There are statues. There are, like, <laughs> ceremonies, prayer-type thing, you know? I mean, I, I, it's not for nothing. I just don't quite understand why they have enduring statues and memories of their uh, most well-known warmonger. Okay, but he was also like a unifier of all the tribes of all of the like random oh. group. Do you know what I mean? It was. Okay. So like, yes, it was through warfare, but through warfare he, he made Mongolia instead of the Mongol tribes. Right. It wasn't actually about his warfare accomplishments. It was about the unification that he achieved before trying to lay waste to China. Yeah. Oh, dude, I feel like if the Mongols would have laid waste to China, maybe the world would be in a lot better place right now because <laughs> those people are at least respectable. <laughs> If you Man. played Ghost of Tsushima, you know that I am full of shit right now. Oh, man. Gotta wipe my soda across my forehead for that one. <laughs> Fucking, oh, man. That was, like, the the key 
to the Mongol fights because uh, no nobody expects that much disrespect on a warfare battlefield for some reason, and the Mongolians bring all of it, every little bit they can muster up. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ghost of Tsushima was very much about the cultural differences between uh, warring armies and about how the main character after a certain point was like, you know what? I don't care about it anymore. I'm going to start throwing their heads back at them. Right. I'm going to send burning carts of dead horses their way. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, like fight like them. Which, I mean, I give props to the Japanese culture because they're one of the few cultures that have been able to preserve their ancient culture for this long. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And most proud of, of how long they've preserved all that. And like being on an island helps that a lot, for one. Hold on. Uh, I gotta go. You good.